Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year to you. Almost in time. You got your bubbly stored away there. I tell you what I have got. I've got Christmas port, which explains why I was caught between saying Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. But we are in that wonderful middle stage of the holiday where you don't know what day it is and it doesn't really matter. I love that. And I guess I could say any port in a storm, therefore. I had a bit of a parenting milestone today and a motorsport milestone. So it's relevant. Excellent. Tell me about it because, you know, I'm dying to hear about your kids. I had, and I'm sure you can appreciate this. I had my first genuine on track karting experience with Treeface, me and Treeface in carts, sharing the track, trading paint, going for it, hammer and tongs. It was fantastic. Uh, so I take it by your description, you, you beat the pants off him. Yeah, I beat him. He's only, he's he's eight, so he's nearly nine. He's got a little ways to go yet. Uh, they put you in the full adult carts and he gets this little cadet cart to go around in. But it was cool because I brought his friends and we had his friend's dad on there as well. I had a GoPro, so we got to film them having a battle. Uh, and it's it was at Formula Fast and this is Formula Fast in Milton Keynes which is the place that is hosting the British Rental Cart Championships in January. And this is not an advert, and this is not a paid sponsorship. This is just my genuine gratitude to uh, Phil Stanley, who looked after us all afternoon. When you have the mixed adults and family sessions, they block it off for you, so you don't have lots of random people kamikazeing into your eight-year-old. That is absolutely brilliant. And I wish they had something like that around here, because I would decidedly take my daughter to do such a thing. However, I had a similar incident. Tell me. Well, you know, you know how you regularly make bets with your children? Yeah, well, I, I made a $5 bet with my daughter, which I won. And um, when she delivered my winnings to me, she attached a note. And the note said? And was, 
the note said something that I actually cannot repeat on air. Great story, then. Uh, I guess that just leaves me to say we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And sometimes we're wrong about being first. And the the chat room is already getting into it. Merkman would like to know, in your opinion, could Treeface beat Stroll? Yeah, anyone could. This this small rock I have on the side of my desk could. It's the easiest thing in the world. I'm also joined by debutante. I'm sure he's nervous, but give him a warm round of applause. Nick Numbers Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Very well. I have my glass of non-seasonal scotch whiskey here. Sounding very posh there with your new audio equipment. Merry Christmas, Nick Numbers Alexander. We're also joined by Kyle Power, who now doesn't have a beard. Hi, Kyle. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all that. Did you shave your beard because having a beard makes you look like you smell bad? No, it makes me look like I have wisdom and integrity. Doesn't I shaved it especially for you guys. Makes you look like you don't have a house and that you sleep outside. No, no, no. You're so wrong. You're so wrong. I'm just jealous. Couldn't grow one if I tried. Let's explore the world of news. Big Dirty News. Matt, why don't I hand it over to you because you did all the work and I don't really know what's happening. Well, that seems reasonably fair. So I'm going to lead off with the kind of story that makes you leave the room to go do things, which is that the former CEO of Renault and Nissan, uh, Carlos Gozan, has been rearrested all over again by the Japanese police. Now, this latest one, is due to the involvement of a man named Khaled Al-Jafali, if I pronounced that right. And given my track record on the show, I'm going to guess that I almost certainly haven't. Um, but what he did was he deposited monies into a bank and extended um, covered credit, basically, for Gozen, when he lost a lot of money in currency swaps back in 2008, 2009. And you might be asking yourself, why does this matter? Well, it matters because Renault is in Formula One, goes and has already been voted off of Nissan, and they were actually headed towards a big merger. And that is all very much now in, in question. And the more he gets arrested, the more everything's in question, and the more uncertainty and doubt there is, probably the worse it's going to be for the Formula One Renault team. And those weren't the only charges either. If uh, we recall from a previous episode, perhaps, or or maybe you read about it online somewhere, that he was initially in trouble for underreporting his income. And people's initial reaction to that are to think that, okay, so, you know, he did something wrong with his tax return. He didn't pay enough taxes, something like that, you know, as a as an individual person. And, and that's not it at all. He actually underreported his income to the Japanese uh, public um company exchange, if you will. So he misled investors about how much the company was paying him with help from other people in the company, which is bad news, not just for him personally, but for the company. Right. And and this gets to the larger issue, which is all of these charges are coming from an internal investigation started at Nissan. And at this point, we're going to get kind of games of throne, uh, games of thrones about it because his former protege, he actually, there was a lot of tension because the Japanese corporations felt that too much power and glory resided in France. Even though Gozen initially rescued Nissan, ultimately the monetary value 
lay more on Nissan's side than on Renault's side. So to help quell that, he appointed his former protege to Nissan, where they immediately in, initiated this investigation, which wound up basically putting the knife right in Gozen's back. And a lot of people, including Gozen's children, have suddenly come out and said that what all of these charges amount to is essentially a palace coup, and they're trying to torpedo the merger that was headed forward. Right. And I think you you did some research on the stock price there, Nick. And the stock price of Renault is actually tanking. And this is going to be another problem in terms of funding going forward, isn't it? Right. So a lot of the articles that you read about this underreporting of income and all that, they they try to analyze what does this mean for Renault, the Formula One team, which obviously, you know, you're reading about it on different motorsport websites that that makes sense. But I think they're kind of missing a major point or missing the ball entirely on that, where they're kind of analyzing, they're going, okay, well, you know, he was into Formula One, so he supported it. So who's going to replace him? And will that person support a Formula One team? And, and the truth of the matter is, it sounds like the new person is not against having a Formula One team, which is great, but none of that matters at all if, if the company, if the health of the company financially completely tanks. So if you look at the, and we're not going to turn this into a stock market show, obviously, but if you look at the price of the Renault stock over the last month, when this news broke around um, Thanksgiving time here in the US, about a, about a month and a week ago, it's down about 11%. Um, which is bad, which is going to lead to internal pressure to save money. And if a Formula One team's primary objective is to sell road cars, you can kind of think of, think of it as a marketing initiative. And it's going to be one of those things that's on the chopping block. So I, I really do think Renault fans need to be worried about what this means for the future of the, their participation in Formula One. Yeah, well, and I think we can draw an even better Formula One analogy if we just look at what happened to McLaren. I mean, we had Whitmarsh, who was undermined by Ron, and then Ron was undermined by his other set of investors whose name will not come to my mind right now in time because that I'm old like that. But the uncertainty at McLaren led to essentially people underneath battling for power and working across purposes. None of that uncertainty and, and, and fighting will be good for the Formula One initiative. And it may not be good for Nissan's Formula E initiative either. So uh, there's a lot to pay close attention to with this story, and it may have much larger bearing on Formula One than anyone realizes at the moment. Didn't Renault make quite an adamant stand when it all broke, I said about a month ago, didn't they make quite an adamant stand saying that it wouldn't affect the Formula One team at all? I read a few articles like that, but I haven't seen any more as of, as of late. Well, well, of course. And so, like I said, I, I think that the articles that came out about this initially had missed the ball and they weren't making it out to be as bad as it probably is. They're just thinking about who's going to secede him you know, in that position and what's he going to or she going to feel about Formula One. And I think Renault have completely ran with that and been like, oh, yep, that's all there is. That's all there is to see here. You know, move along. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, they're not going to come out and say, yeah, our stock price is tanking and um, we're going to have to, you know, do some thinking and, and make some cuts. So I think they're, you know, they're sticking to the PR playbook, really. Yeah, well, and we can look at uh, VW and Audi and WEC, for example. You know, oh, no, 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 no. It's all going to be fine until we suddenly pull up stakes and go because we have to spend all of our money paying penalties all over the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're going to say that until it affects it. But if the stock price tanks 
And if there's not a good plan of succession in place, then uh, Formula One is absolutely vulnerable if they start to lose revenue. And that will be one of the first places they probably look to cut costs, because after all, they've they've increased their spending to try and join the manufacturer rank. It'd be very easy for them to cut it right back down and spend that money elsewhere if whoever was in charge felt it was more important. Yeah, it is. It is very easy to slash budgets much, much easier than trying to dramatically increase the budget of something without prior planning. Well, speaking of budgets, Matt, that leads nicely on to the next news story, doesn't it? I'm assuming, actually, because this is a money story. Did this come from old Nick Numbers over there? Always banging on about the money. This is like his version of you saying the same thing about tyres, but because no one's really listening, we assume you're saying something different about tyres. It's always the same thing. It was most certainly not me. Ah, In fact, you may be shocked to find that. I talk about numbers enough in my day job, and I and I don't necessarily care to do it on nights and weekends also anymore. So no, this data was uh, was curated by Fritz Dieter Rankin, I believe. Matt, ah, right. So you didn't you didn't compile from- the data, um, uh, right? So since we're talking about numbers, um, it turns out that our old friend Dieter Rankin he did a wonderful breakdown of the prize monies handed out this year in Formula One. And I don't know about you, because I think you've probably seen it now because I put it in the notes. But one of the things that interested me most was to compare the championship order to the order of the amount of money the teams received. And it is as mostly we would expect. Ferrari got the most money, then Mercedes, then Red Bull. Interestingly, McLaren was next. And even more interesting, like, was Williams being right after them. Yeah, it just shows. <clears throat> excuse me. It just shows how much of a bad performance William did with their car. They have, they have obviously their historical payment that they get, but also you just see quite how much cash they receive from the Strolls and uh, Sir Rockins backers. Yeah, well, I think this is just uh, down to um, they get a little historical payment, but it's important to remember that the prize monies for this year came from last year. So I think we're going to see the 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 net negative effects perhaps next year. Uh, down at the bottom, Sauber got the least money, and then it was Haas. But I'll tell you, um, what really caught my eye was looking at the chart where they did uh, budgets and headcounts. And again, we see that it, it's almost that Haas by far has the smallest budget uh, and and staff combined. And then it's Sauber and then Tara Rosso. And I think this just goes to make my point that Haas was by far the most efficient team this year because they read the rules as they were and had no tradition or anything else to get in the way of, well, I guess we could say ruthlessly exploiting them. But does it scale up? Because for years, Force India had the tag, didn't they, of being the team that could make every buck count and that had you know the best points per budget ratio. But when it comes to scaling up, it's not, it's like gravity, you know, with the, hang on, I'm now that I know Carl's on here as a scientist, I'm going to get this embarrassingly wrong. But like inverse square law of gravity, the further you get away, uh, the less the effect has. Uh, <laughs> so I shouldn't have gone down this path. Uh, but essentially, the more you want your points to increase past the mid-table and into the winning positions, you don't just need double. You don't need to keep it in ratio. You need to pile on and pile on and pile on. And every additional point after that costs more and more and more. So just because Haas have been efficient in the midfield doesn't mean they could translate that if they were given a huge budget. In fact, 
Force India have said, wow, actually, now we've got this budget, we have to be really careful not to fall back on, uh, you know, a more wasteful mentality. Can they keep that points per buck ratio going forward now they actually have a bit of a budget with the stroll billions so that so are we are we showing these graphs on the on the video feed or nope no we're not you can describe the particular number that you would like to talk about so 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 matt is referencing a graph that has each of the teams and it has their headcount in a in a vertical bar and then it has their budget in dollars in another vertical bar and this is what i do and this is I'm really annoying about this at work and I'm going to do it here. And you may notice on that graph, which apparently we're not going to show to people, sorry, that there's only nine groupings that the uh, stroll point force India, whatever you want to call it, uh, isn't shown there. So you you that graph is a little bit misleading and you look and you see that Haas actually has the, the lowest headcount and budget. But that, I think, is because force India is missing. Um, and I don't think that their budget was much bigger than theirs. And I think they got even more points per dollar out of their operation. Well, I'm glad you brought up points per dollar, because if we're going to go with the most efficient points per dollar, that would be Mercedes at six tenths of a million per point. But they had a budget of 400 million and they had a headcount of over a thousand as compared to someone, let's say, like Horse India, who was, I think, the best in the midfield. And they were uh, rocking about 1.1 per. But uh, Rinkin actually made the point in his column, and I think he's correct, that a better way to look at it, because let's face it, if you're a Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull, you're rocking up two points finishes per race, guaranteed. And Red Bull's budget at 310 was more than double Haas at 130 and um, slightly less than double Renault at 190, who were the biggest spenders of the midfield this year. His point was that really the way to look at it is lap time improvement per dollar, or um, you can just look at the budget and see how much lap time it bought you. And here again, I'm going to go with, granted, Sauber had the most improvement at 135 million and 2.47 second improvement, But it's important to remember that they weren't running a current engine last year. So I'm going to have to put an asterisk next to this for me. The next best was Haas, 130 million and 1.89 seconds improvement. Renault, 60 million more, 1.91 seconds improvement. So that extra 60 million bought Renault only two hundredths of a second improvement. Right. So the law of diminishing returns that Spanners was describing I think he was right to look at the lap time versus the championship points, of course, because you you don't get that you don't get any return initially. It's it's not a linear relationship. It's not like most other things. So if you you start at the back and you finish 20th and you improve and you finish 19th, 18th, 17th, all the way up to 11th, your return in terms of points is zero, 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 zero. And all of a sudden you get into the points, get in the 10th and and better, obviously, and you get these this big jump. In return, and like you said, the big teams—they're both generally finishing the points if the cars finish and don't crash into one another in Baku, for example. Um, but yeah, it does these this wonky thing. If you just look at points per dollar, then actually the top three teams somehow get the most points per dollar return with their huge budget. Yeah, because they, they with two with two cars finishing in the top six race after race after race, it, it, it's it's going to be a thing. But to me, like the, the thing is, you know, and we talked about how bad Williams is, but what encapsulates it for me is their budget last year was 150 million. 
and their lap time improvement was only 0.33 of a second. The only other team under a second improvement was McLaren at 0.92, and they spent 220 to get that. So it's it's a great way to compare sort of efficiencies of the team. Uh, but you can see, talking about diminishing returns, Mercedes at the top with 400 and 1.13 seconds better. Ferrari at 410, 1.19 seconds better. And really, Red Bull, I think, was the winner out of all of them. They, they were up 1.31 seconds uh, at 310. So they did more catching up this year, even if it didn't always look like it on track. So, so what you're saying to me, I think, is no matter which way you slice and dice it, no matter how you look at it, Williams's performance is still mind-bogglingly poor. For them to get the return on lap time that they didn't get out of the money that they had compared to how much lap time they was at the top, they, they had the benefit of the law of diminishing returns. There should have been more lap time to find from the back of the grid. And I mean, it's like they... Uh, I don't know, tried to hit water from a boat and missed, right? Yes. Yeah, it just it also could be a bit of a black dot on the on the chart because they made a fundamental error in the design of their car. So it wasn't a direct carry on from from previous years. That oh hang could on, sorry Kyle, so much. I, I hate to interrupt people, but there's obviously something wrong with your your mic. You said fundamental error in design. It sounded like that. Obviously you meant driver selection that as well but the driver selection bought money for the budget so you could kind of argue against that and what did they do with that because looking at this chart which i'm just now paying attention to uh sauber and williams spent the same amount of money matt sauber improved by 2.4 seconds and williams by 0.3 are we saying that this fundamental flaw cost them two seconds i'm willing to attribute at least half to drivers and half to this uh, you know, fabled fundamental flaw that just happens to coincide with taking two ridiculous pay drivers. Yeah, well, and I think that's probably reasonable. But let's take McLaren, who is our other favorite uh, people to say, oh, my goodness, how could you have done so poorly with that much resource? They improved basically three times as much um, as, as Williams. And they had a brand new power unit that they weren't able to properly design a chassis for. Williams has had the same power unit ever since they started this era of regulations. It, you would think that it would be a no-brainer for them to have around that level of improvement. And just to, oh, yeah, I, I mean, it's staggeringly bad. Kyle Power. Oh, by the way, yeah. somebody, I don't normally do this till a bit later, but somebody, sorry, did I interrupt your flow? I also like to do that. Somebody in the chat room asked, what is your YouTube channel name? Because I think you have actually some fans from your short time here on Missed Apex podcast. And now as well, you're a radio personality having appeared with me on BBC Radio Cambridge. I think we need to, to get your YouTube channel out there into the ether. Where is it? Yeah, it's just called Kyle Power. Uh, words, that's it. Um, you should be able to find that. If not, you can search for a video called The Sound of a Man Enjoying Himself, and it will be the first video that comes up. It's not what it sounds like. It's Man. me taking my supercar out for the first time and screaming joyfully in my helmet. <laughs> I don't think that, that made it any better, to be fair. Kyle Power, if I was going to make up a name like you clearly have, I might have settled on Kyle Power as well. Now, please, do uh, seamlessly return to your original point. <laughs> which, which yeah. i've forgotten yeah exactly i like yeah, that i just planned 
Oh, no, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Uh, apparently, so I read somewhere, and I can't remember where. This is quite a while ago. Um, someone was trying to sum up the Williams problems. And they had a theory, or or they had some inside information, that it was actually to do with the cooling system and and their engine. So their Mercedes engine could have potentially been their downfall. So they tried to copy Mercedes style of cooling the car um, and producing low drag and getting efficient cooling. And it's very, very complicated. And I think they tried to copy it. They made some some fundamental decisions for the for the design of the chassis, which can't which they can't go back on, realize when they got to testing that they got it wrong and they were stuck with it for the season. Wasn't there a team one time that essentially designed a gas tank that was too small and were stuck with it for the whole season as well? I cannot remember off the top of my head, but it sounds like you're talking about that that level of error. Yeah, indeed. That was Virgin, I believe. It was Virgin, or when it was Virgin, when they come in at the new teams, they first went back in 2010, I think it was. Yeah, maybe. yeah. whole season, not enough fuel. Uh, oops yeah i gotta check those signs very carefully before you turn in your test right yep but to be fair to them they they were the only cfd all cfd car i don't think they had any wind tunnel time but they obviously in their cfd or their mainly their cad cam design program they obviously had a, their volume set to the wrong units trumpets i think yes. we've got time for one quick news story before we start casting judgment on talented millionaire drivers at the top of the field of motorsport, where, of course, we are in a shed and a New York office. I I feel like we're perfectly placed to judge these superstar drivers. So we will continue to do that after one final news story. And it's one I think that we complain about over and over again. Could we finally be seeing the end to grid penalties? Yes. Well, um, for those who are paying attention online, there was recently a survey I believe this is uh, covered in Autosport to a certain extent, uh, directly of the fans by Formula One about that very thing, grid penalties that so many people complain of. And the alternatives that were offered up in this survey included such things as reducing uh, the amount of tires available for free practice or the amount of track time for free practice, adding ballast for qualifying or restricting fuel or, or energy flow uh, by removing DRS. Reducing wind tunnel testing time, adding a stop and go the team could take at their choice during the race, or deducting points either from the driver or from the team, although that's never been done before, uh, probably for reasons. And that should any of these occur too late to be, to, to be assessed during a session, that those penalties would then carry over to the next session. And, um, I believe that Kyle actually took that survey. So what did you find, Kyle? Yes, I did. I took it early. It was very interesting. Um, I'll just, if you don't mind, briefly run through. There was actually eight options they gave you. The first one was to reduce wind tunnel time for the teams. Um, I'll just run through these as I go through them. Um, I can't see how that could actually work. If you reduce it from, say, Haas, then you've got to do it from Ferrari as well. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, yeah, but it's to try to the grid penalties for like drivers to say they had to change an MGUK unit. Um, you then, if you're penalising the wind tunnel time for the team, that then indirectly penalises both drivers, even though it's on one driver's car. I can't see how they're going to work. It's also very difficult to quantify how much effect that will actually have. Um, so I, I think that's a very bad option. I'm quite surprised it was in there. 
but obviously they think they've got a workaround. Um, the second option was reducing tyre sets, and there's two in this sort of group. Reduce tyre sets and reduce free practice time to limit to penalise the driver by limiting his practice time. Now, this kind of goes against what what they're setting out to do. They don't want to reduce drivers' track time. Everyone wants to see the car on track. I've been to three Grand Prix before where the Friday's been a complete washout and there's no cars on track, and that's awful for fans. So don't induce that purposely. So again, I think that's a very bad option. Can't they stick their reserve driver in for that practice session? That would be a good idea. Hadn't thought about that. That would be a very good, very good idea. But both of those reducing practice time to say, well, let's ignore that. Very good point. But I don't think they're very good. Um, I don't think they're a good idea at all. Um, the one thing that I think is an extremely good idea is the penalising qualifying performance. So you could do that, and they've set out three options for that. There's reducing the fuel flow or the ERS deployment, which for the fans, they're trying to make it more simple to appeal to a wider audience. I don't think that's a particularly great way of doing it because it's quite complicated to try and explain. Um, they've put added ballast for qual- adding ballast for qualifying, which I think is the winner for me because everyone can understand you're heavier. Or they've put in disabling DRS. Now, that won't work on one simple thing. What happens if it's wet and DRS is disabled anyway? Uh, Nick okay. numbers Alexander, I okay, am just because so- because people get used to the American voice being Matt. I didn't want them to be confused. The casual listener, this is Canadian or Rocky Mountain, some sort of cold weather person. Nick numbers Alexander speaking now. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time north of the border. Actually, I kind of sometimes wonder where I am. So I, I'll make a, a joke and then I'll just shoot everything down. Right. So I, imagining a funny scenario where the punishment was that they lost free practice time, but just the driver and you give it to the reserve driver. So I could see Williams sabotaging that because I mean, they're just selling that reserve driver Oh no! <laughs> anyway. Right. So they're yeah. selling that, that experience. And we promise you'll definitely get free practice time because we'll blow up the engines and you'll definitely get in there. Okay. So that said, and I, I don't want to just be a negative person and be like, no, this is stupid. But that's exactly what I'm going to do. No, this is stupid. This is all rubbish. None of these things solve the problem that we have with any of this. All of our problems are it's it's about you want engine reliability. You don't want teams putting a new engine in every weekend. You don't want this runaway budget. It's not fair to the driver. Well, all of these other solutions punish the driver it, it 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 still ends up and i don't understand well you you take away three grid places and it's artificial so what we're gonna do is we're gonna add ballast to the car so that he qualifies it three places farther back how what difference does that make and if anything it just makes it more confusing to evaluate how drivers didn't qualify well okay what about if a driver does something stupid so if he dives into the pit lane and then i don't know cuts it across before actually entering the pit lane just across the grass back onto the track just because his race engineer is yelling in 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 ow 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 and he does something like that which by the way I I still can't believe that wasn't a penalty for Hamilton uh, but if he does something like that then you go okay for the next qualifying you've got ballast so that's fair isn't it because we're punishing the driver directly I think Nick uh, you're talking more about if there's an engine failure gearbox failure etc that's where you don't like that one driver getting the penalty but but isn't that the kind of thing that fans are most frustrated about? I thought trying to fix that was what this survey would be about. Well, yeah, it is. But I don't think it's that simple. They still need to heavily discourage teams 
from just throwing engine components at it. They need to discourage that. And the way they have at the moment is rather draconian of doing that with penalising the driver. Now, they do say in this survey that you know, it's never been noted that they can't, there's no current instance where they can take away points from teams or drivers. And also they noted they don't want to affect or do a financial implication. So taking points away from the team would almost be a direct financial implication for them because it could affect their constructors position. But if you penalise the driver mildly, not give him to slap him with a grid penalty, but put some ballast on for qualifying, it at least gives him a chance to do something amazing to try and mitigate the penalty. Well, at the moment, they don't have a chance. It also means they will go and run the full qualifying rather than just put a, non- a lap in. Okay, so I, I I like what you're saying. Actually, I do. I don't like it when you know going into qualifying that they have a five place grid penalty. So you know the best that they can qualify for is six. But we all love watching sports, any sports, not motorsports specifically. That hail mary pass, that one in a million chance, that miracle on ice, right? I mean, how spectacular would it be if? It, Lewis Hamilton, and let's be honest, it would be Lewis Hamilton. It wouldn't be anybody else, right? Would somehow manage to put it on pole, even though he had a a ballast or something like that. That would be incredible. I could actually support that more than just the straight grid penalties. Just that possibility of something amazing happening. Yeah, well, and I think it's important to discuss why removing points from a team is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Because when you have a failure, Is it the fault of the manufacturer of the engine? Is it a fault of the team because of how they packaged it? Or is it the fault of a three-pound component made out of plastic that should not have passed inspection but did? And so, so there you are. Yes, you need rules because the rules to reduce spending means we want to reduce the total number of power units used in a season. But it's important to remember that Formula One is ultimately a team game. So yeah, penalties are assessed on drivers, but that penalty affects the entire team. And sometimes the driver takes the penalty for the team and sometimes is vice versa. Of all the suggestions, the ballast is by far the most interesting for the reasons that you point out, Nick, that it allows the driver still has a chance to do well. It doesn't remove them and it leaves uh, the impact of that penalty it lends a level of uncertainty that will make people want to watch. Okay. So I think we've obviously hit on a good topic here because everyone wants, everyone wants to get in. I'm going to try to be as fast as I can. I just want the points that are scored to be, to be final. I, I don't want the, the world constructors championship standings points to be this, but it was this on track. But then when you account for all the penalty, that is way too confusing. Just don't do that. Do ballast, do take away tires, do anything you want. Just get it sorted before so that the, the points are the points. And then also the the financial penalty, that that doesn't matter. If if you're trying to prevent a team like you know the New, the New York Yankees or the Ferrari whatever from just throwing unlimited money behind it, putting a tax on it and having them spend even more money that doesn't really get to the root of the problem. I yield my time. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't help the problem at all. And also with the ballast thing, it's a very easy thing to apply. You could uh, assign a nominal value of weight to be added per component. So as we all know, the PU is made up of six components. So let's say we it's a five kilogram penalty, um, just for an example, for, for a one single component change. So if somebody goes for a full house and they take everything, they'll end up with a 30 kilo penalty. Now, from my racing experience, 30 kilos over the weight is a huge penalty, but it still gives the driver something to go for. They can make the difference. If it's wet, They it might negate 
that 30 kilos and they can pull out an amazing performance for it. So I think that's a very interesting thing that they should, that they should go with. It's the only feasible option that I can see. Any driver who has an engine penalty has to come round to my house for a week of Christmas food and the substantial weight gain that you will be forced to have through no fault of your own. It's not my fault I can't refuse food. Stop offering it to me. You you want a fat husband? Fine. You're going the right way about it, Mrs. Spanners. Sorry, what were we talking about? I wanted to go to the chat room. Blackout 19. The expense for the engines is mostly in the development. The, res- the restriction of the number of power units is a publicity stunt at best. I understand the principle behind the penalties for the power units. We want to make it important that they are not just throwing power units at the problem. But what we have from a sporting point of view is an allocation of power units and the power units are better at the start of their life than they are at the end of their life. So you have wear over seven races. Now, actually, you can change your power unit at the fifth race and then change it back again for a a car, uh, for a power unit that has already done five races, but for the seventh race. So they don't have to use them sequentially. You just have engine life, the same as you have tyre life. Now, in cricket, if you are bowling with a ball, the condition of the ball changes as you go through the match. Uh, a cricket ball lasts, I think, 80 overs in a test match. It will swing more and it will do more things and it will bounce less as it gets older. Now, if halfway through that that's, that 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 80 overs allocation somebody knocks it out of the ground and it hits the number 72 bus and little alice puts it in a handbag and keeps it as a souvenir they don't say right well i'm afraid that team is fined 400 runs they have a box of cricket balls of various ages and they pick the closest one and use that there is absolutely no reason to have a racing penalty for a team that has an engine blow up no one is deliberately going do you know what if we blow up this engine, if we push it so hard we can blow it up, we can get an advantage with a new engine. If they were doing that, then penalising them by putting them at the back of the grid, that would be a good penalty. But I don't think there should be any penalty at all. Have the magnet manufacturers have a range of engines, and if the, an engine blows up after four races, I'm sure in the pool of racing, in the pool of Formula One, there's going to be an engine that's about four races old and they can just substitute that in. Trumpets, what's wrong with that? If they lock up a tyre for a certain situation in qualifying, they are sometimes allowed to substitute it with an equivalently worn tyre. Well, theoretically, hypothetically, I was just going to ask Nick if he understood anything about your cricket analogy because I certainly didn't. So what I was I was just going to say, I was having this out-of-body experience where I was Spanners and I understood how I sound when I talk about hockey, hockey. to him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I, Revenge. I could go on so much about hockey stick technology and safety in the game of hockey. But I, I was just thinking some more about this this ballast thing and – I, I think it's a I think it's actually a bad idea. I think I'd be more in favor of the fuel flow restriction idea because I just worry about this being um any any more construed as as any pressure on the drivers from a health perspective to reduce body weight. Right. Well, I I'm perfectly willing to take up with Spanner's point. Um the point is you get three engines per year and you have to use them. And you can use them until you blow one of them up. If you have to introduce a fourth one then you pay a penalty. And it's nice that you're willing to assume that those teams out there would never, under any circumstances at all, even tread remotely close 
to the edge of the rules in their search for winning. I mean, we've never seen a team like just ignore a rule and violate it because they know they wouldn't be caught. That's never happened in the history of the sport ever. So, I mean, I think there's a reason they have these rules. What I want to ask about, um, and, and I would actually like your opinion on this, which is rare for me, honestly, um, is I feel like looking at what they've chucked up in the survey, that I think they fundamentally misunderstand what it is that frustrates the fans about these penalties. I don't think it's so much that they're grid penalties. It's that there's lots and lots of numbers, and, there's a, and, and nobody understands why people wind up where they are. For example, okay, it's five for this, it's 10 for this, and it's back of the grid for this, and it doesn't carry over, is very, very simple to understand. And in this thing, it's, it's much like their approach to tires is going to be next year. Yeah, they, they, but they have to regulate it. They can't, they can't just leave it as free changes. Like you say, somebody could accidentally do a McLaren at Monaco and leave the bungs in on the cooling vents as they send the car to the grid and cook their engine. Whoops, I have a new engine, lovely. Um, no, they need... They need to they need to restrict it. But I think what the main gripe with the fans is, particularly for me, is when the qualifying result finishes and say Daniel Ricciardo qualifies in fifth, they're like, oh, actually, no, he's got a 10 place grid drop. It's the it's the results of what happens on the track, not being the results of what actually it counts with in the classification. That is really annoying. So the ballast would get rid of that. It's not only that. And I've banged on about this on air is it's the delay in time between when the results are finished and when you find out about the penalty, which sometimes not till the next day. All right, Trumpets, let's wrap this up, baby. Yeah, well, clearly Formula One is listening to the fans um, and hopefully they get the solution right uh, in terms of if they're going to change the grid penalties, they change it in a way that allows the driver to still make a difference and does um, does not affect artificially the result in a way that keeps the fans unhappy. Ladies and gentlemen, that was this week's Big Dirty News. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now, Matt, I don't think we're going to do a year in review, as it were. We're not going to do an inward looking, how great was it to do Missed Apex podcast? Because we know it was great. It's fun. That's why we keep doing it. That and the constant promise of being international icons in podcasting and YouTube-ness. But a big thank you, first of all, um, to Steve Amy, who is our silent video editor, who puts together all this beautiful scenery, along with the help of Felix Bowen from Sweden, who does all our uh, website beautifulness. And any time I try to change anything on the website, I get a very angry Swede yelling at me and an angry Aussie yelling at me all through the live stream. But it wouldn't be quite the same without them. So I just want to say a big thanks to those guys. Of course, the panel, Kyle, Jeansy, uh, that the accountant guy, I don't know his name. We take them for granted, as is our want. But Trumpets, we have had some spectacular expert guests this year. It's been amazing. Um, Summers, F1. One of the leading F1 tech guys comes on here with you and gives me a break as well because I don't understand any of it. Uh, but you, you have those magnificent tech time shows with Summers. I mean, they have been fantastic. They have been. And I was amazed, and I'm sure you were too, that, that of just how open and helpful and giving he has been of his time with us. It's been a tremendous I don't want to use the word upgrade because that's really not quite the right word, but you get my point. Yeah, it's been a a real asset and and a wonderful thing to have on the show. It's brought a new audience in. And I don't know about I know you pretend to not understand all of the things, but it has certainly increased my understanding of the sport and its intricacies and increased my appreciation of it as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that Jeansy's. Uh, he's asked a question. He's tried to spell Summers three times and still hasn't got it right. Uh, but the question is, it's been too long since Summers has been on. It has. He's he's in a really busy period at the moment, but we are planning to get him back on as soon as possible. But Summers is literally in the top two or three F1 tech writers in the world. You know, he's a motorsport.com guy and he comes on here and we're, we're really, really grateful. Um, Kyle, you'll know a bit more about this. We've got so complacent and used to the fact that Bradley Philpot just pops in with his opinions and stuff. Uh, just explain to our listeners, especially after the Philpot karting masterclasses that were recorded this year, just explain, you know, why are we so lucky to have this guy on the podcast? Yeah, he's a, he's an incredible driver. Um, he was an instructor, at, um, at Palmer Sport and I've gone and done a day there and all of their instructors are amazing. Um, he was one of the best ones there. Uh, he's a, yeah, he, he gets to drive cars. He goes to the Nürburgring. He's a fantastic sim racer and is again, well, my, my previous point sticks. He's very good at articulating and teaching people and getting, and getting his point across across in a very clear and concise way. Unlike I just did. <laughs> You're doing fine, Kyle. It's the, the radio stardom's gone to your head. That's the problem powers. Uh, and then of course, trumpets. How lucky have we been to have the next two guys that I'm going to talk about? Guys who've been inside the paddock. I mean, Joe Sayward gets to talk to 
all the people in F1, and not only that, all the people in F1 want to talk to Joe Sayward. Then he comes into the shed and just chats to me about it. I, I, I'm, I think you're being kind in saying that all the people in Formula One want to talk to him. I think they're mostly terrified of him. <laughs> well, Therefore, they will talk to him. <laughs> hey, that'll do. I would rather have people's fear than their love. But of Absolutely. course, Joe came on board very early and has been incredibly generous with this time. You'll have noticed that he is on pretty much monthly on Missed Apex podcast. And I don't know how you can get a podcast that is closer to the source material without being the BBC or F1's very own podcast. And of course, we had the magnificent insight of Matthew Carter, who has been in charge of a Formula One team for two years. Yeah, and apparently has nothing to lose when talking about his... Uh, he doesn't care. Uh, no, he just tells really us amazing. everything. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I, will, I will go to my grave enjoying his telling of what it's really like inside a Formula One strategy group meeting. <laughs> but often after the podcast recordings, I will message him and I will say, hey, um, you said the thing about the thing. Did you, I mean, had you just become over, overly relaxed? Is that okay? And he's just like, meh. Okay, and and we let it fly, and it's great. And he came and hung out for half an hour in our chat group, which caused quite a commotion in the Patreon Slack group. Yes, it did, and it was delightful. They asked him many questions, and again, he was entirely open and free and amazingly generous with his time. And I don't want to keep uh, banging on about this for too long, but we've also had some great law chats with Peter Wright and his wife, Heather, it shouldn't be underestimated how big a deal those guys are in the world of law. It's a, it's a little embarrassing that we have them on just to waffle on about motorsport. Those guys are a proper big deal and they come on regularly. By the way, all these episodes are still available at mistapexpodcast.com. And a big thank you as well to the magnificent Mark Gallagher who came on to speak to us. Oh, what an insight into Cosworth and the history of Formula One and Eddie Jordan. We had Alex Brundle. Uh, not only be on our live podcast, but also come karting with us as well. And he's going to be on in the new year too. We've had Jack Nichols on twice. He also came go-karting with us. He was brilliant. And we had the very funny Terry Saunders from For Formula One Sake. Go check out that podcast. Oh, no, you can't because they finished for the for the season and they can't be bothered to do it during the winter. But when they bother doing it again, that is the perfect podcast to listen to after, you know, the, the serious proper one, this one, Missed Apex. F1 stat man, Sean Kelly. What a treat that was. The guy who puts together all the stats for everything that you watch and consume in Formula One. Bob Varsha. If you didn't know Bob Varsha before, you know him now. Matt was in seventh heaven. He was absolutely fantastic. Fake Charlie Whiting. What a dude. He has done something in social media in F1 that hardly anybody has managed to do and become a phenomenon from a Twitter account. And many, many thanks to Mark Priestley, who was going to do an interview with us from a studio and wandered around London until he found a McDonald's with Wi-Fi so that he wouldn't let me down for that interview. Thank you very, very much to all our guests. It's been a fantastic year of speaking to people in F1. Matt, Driver Awards. Last week, we focused very much on Stroll. The big takeaway is we established that I would definitely beat Lance Stroll in go-karting. And since nobody has challenged me on that point, it stands and is definitely true. Unless he wants to come at me, bro. Right. Who are we doing today? Right. Well, I was going to quickly go over that we gave Sorotkin the what's the point award for his solitary point. 
Stroll got the Gamer of the Year award after a great deal of argument. And our friend Brendan got, Brendan Hartley got the uh, Hard Done By award for his, uh, for, you know, his brief stint at Toro Rosso. Carrying on, um, if we're going to go in this order, or would you prefer to go to Hartley's teammate? I'll leave it up to you. I will yield to you, Matt Trumpets, my ever-present, fantastic, hard-working co-host. I was amiss earlier to not say thank you to you for the last six years of ever, ever-present support in the land of podcasting. I have met you once. You don't smell as bad as you look. Thank you. Yes, well, you know, I did actually bathe for that. Let's do what you want. It was my point. Right. Fair enough. Um, let's start with our friend Marcus Erickson. It's, it was his uh, valedictory from Formula One. He's off to the greener pastures of IndyCar, where we will no doubt trace his progress with a great deal of interest. Um, and he's up for three awards. And for those who missed last week and don't understand, normal people have multiple drivers up for single awards. But because we like to do things differently, <laughs> we have multiple awards for each driver and we will be forced to argue which one is most appropriate. So up first for Ericsson is the Matilda Award because he literally moved Grosjean with his mind. <laughs> Love it. Whoever thought of that is the most hilarious content creator on the planet. Yes, I have no idea who it might be after that endorsement, Spanner. Um, he's also up for the Itchy tr Trigger Finger Award, arguably for giving us the best highlight of the year for entirely missing the DRS close button at Silverstone and having that wonderful smash. And those are the two. So let's get to it. Well, Obviously, I think you're going to be in favor of the Matilda Award. Well, look, as well, the one we've missed out, and I've been trying not to say it this season because I do upset the Swedish listeners who are fans of Marcus Ericsson. But the Get in the Sea Award. I did say it for like three years. I've been trying to lay it off it this year. But I am firmly of the opinion, and have been, that he should get in the sea. But this last two seasons, actually, Stroll has taken a lot of the heat off of him. Kyle, have I, was I wrong to be giving Marcus Ericsson so much grief and be wishing that he return to the aqua life of the sea? I think that's quite harsh, actually, on old Marcus. Poor him. Well, hang on um, a minute. You're saying that, though, in a post-Stroll F1. Before Stroll, you'd have looked at Marcus Ericsson and gone, oh, come on, there's other reasons why he's here. The, you know, he's not really up to the job. I've never felt that badly against Ericsson. And this year, to his credit, he's put up a... Well, it's pretty bad against Leclerc, but it was against an exceptional talent. And he admits he falls back, but he admits he's also done better than, than he's ever done before. So... I think you're being overly harsh. There is also a danger that Leclerc looks like an exceptional talent because he's been up against Marcus Ericsson. No, 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 no. I think we disproved that on the previous show. Way to drop things, Kyle. I find that if you sort of close your hand around objects, they, they very rarely stray from it. Trumpets. Yeah, this is true. Um, I, I would be cautious. Leclerc came in with full Ferrari backing. I they they I don't even know if Ferrari wanted Ericsson or if it was just his sponsor still had enough pull to buy him this final season. And if you look, if you go back through his actual results, it's hard to argue when you toss out the disasters that befell him that he really actually did have a reasonably decent season now that he had the engine in his car. 
But the biggest problem I have with the Get in the Sea Award is that he's actually terrified of the sea. So I just don't find that appropriate. That's what makes the getting in the sea punishment even worse, is that he hates it. Um, Nick, are we being harsh given that he has had challenges, as in he is quite a large man for a Formula One driver? There might be something to that. I don't think you've been overly harsh. He has proven, I mean, he's had obviously more time to prove himself and develop himself than many other drivers who have faced much sooner exits from Formula One. But he, he scored nine points this season, which is it's hard it's hard to compare because in twenty seventeen he scored zero points. So he scored infinity percent more points than he did last year. And just from my subjective viewing on television, it did seem that he improved, but he's still not particularly good. I would nominate him for the too little too late award. Ooh, a, a late contender. So I would vote, Matt. I vote that we go for the Matilda Awards because he had the ability to move Grosjean with his mind. Not only because it's hilarious, I thought of it and I want the credit for it, but also because that was his biggest contribution to the story of F1 this year. Do I have a second? Kyle? I, I also vote for the Matilda Award. That was one of the funniest moments of the season, that radio transmission. I think it was the engineer, wasn't it? He said, I think Ericsson hit us. I, no, the, I think oh, it was brilliant. I thought it was Grosjean, but then I've been corrected that it was the engineer. But it's funnier if Grosjean did it. Uh, it's even worse that the engineer has it because he's got the GPS data so he can see where they are on track. So that makes it even funnier that it was the engineer who thought that. What do you reckon it, then, Trump? Is, this is, let's make this your train set after what Nick says. All right, fair oh, enough. I, Oh, I was just going to agree with Kyle. I think it is absolutely worse that the engineer missed it. He has third-person camera views at his disposal. Uh, I, I vote for the Matilda Award as well. Well, then, I guess I will just wrap it up and make it unanimous just to ensure that I can continue to get whatever content I want on the show. Yes, agree with me. It's my train set. And if you don't agree with me, I'll take my shed home. Alonso, I'm sure this will pass without any controversy or strong opinions whatsoever. Right. Well, the first award for Alonso would be the Allison Bailey Award. Now, I don't know who put this up here. Oh, that's mine. I'll I'll explain this one. Yeah, the Allison Bailey Award. Allison was my girlfriend in 1998, and I was too afraid of dumping her. So I just treated her increasingly badly uh, and with increasing amounts of neglect until she left. Now, Alison only took three months to dump me. Alonso's endured five years of McLaren before getting the hint. And that's why I nominate him for the Alison Bailey Award. Uh, I hope she's doing well out there. Hi, Alison. Yeah, well, it's a good thing uh, Mrs. Spanners does not listen to the show. Uh, he would also be up for the Where in the World is Fernando Award for dominating the entirety of the season with endless speculation about whether he would continue with McLaren. And then, once it was obvious he wouldn't, where exactly he would wind up driving once he finally announced his, finger quotes, retirement. His third nomination, and you'll notice that we have a lot of these for Alonzo, <laughs> would be the Radio Sarcasm Award for oh. trenchant in-race commentary. Uh, Abu Dhabi, I already have 1,800 points. France, I hope he has damage after the Vettel contact. And who could forget about being asked whether they should run enters in Hungary, replying, I think we should go to the garage. And even if you put a rocket ship, we would be 11. I mean, it took a lot to beat 
you know, him yelling at Palmer going, oh, good, it's Karma and uh, GP2 engine. But he's kept it up. Like, he he knows as well that his contribution to F1 has been through those radio things. I think he even put up a little bit of resistance and said, oh, you know, oh, they're, they're focusing in on my radio messages. Yes, for a fantastic reason. Uh, Nick. Okay, so his sarcasm aside and all that, I was impressed by the sheer volume of radio transmissions that came out of Fernando Alonso. So in in that regard, I might like to nominate him for the Matt Trumpets Talks for a Long Time on the Radio Award. Yes, that's the best award ever. (laughs) No, it's not that Matt talks a lot. It's that Matt talks for a long time in one go. I I have excellent breath control. What can I say? comes from being a musician. Anyway, he is also up for the You Hang Up First Award because it's already come out. He might be interested in (laughs) testing in 2019. And you know, like when you were like 12 and you were first girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever friend, we're not going to be judgy here. And you were like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Well, this seems to be his relationship with McLaren in Formula One. It's like, just when you think it's done, nobody has actually hung the phone up yet. When Alison Bailey said, you hang up, I would just hang up. <laughs> Three months that went on for. And the final award that Alonso's up for. It's my ball and I'm going home award. Um, it's sort of tangential to what we've already discussed, but theoretically the most ungracious exit from Formula One. Now then, let's go to Kyle Power. Not the nicest ending, is it, for a two-time world champion held in such regard to just fade out like that. It's a cliche, but when when boxers win a title and then quit, or Nico Rosberg wins a title against a four-time world champion, or sorry, a five-time world champion now, uh, and then quit, and you go, oh, you know, that's bad. Why have they done that? Actually, there's some merit to it. Go out on top. Well, yeah, and... So well, I'm clearly going to vote for my ad in here, <laughs> but um, which is a smile born going home award. <laughs> but it's just it, it's the constant referrals he's been making to. That was the best qualifying lap I've driven in my life. Um, yeah, I'm going to WEC like WEC, which is the most this is the most competitive racing there is. Well, you're in a one car class, Fernando. Um, yeah, mind your head. There's that pig again. You know, he goes over. Um, it, yeah, so I. I think it's all just a bit petulant. It's like, well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving now. Like, are you sure you want me to go? I said, like, okay, bye, Fernando. Did you and catch think- the comment that he said in WEC? Because obviously Toyota, for those of you who don't know, is pretty much unopposed in its class in LMP1. Um, but he said, oh, actually, Toyota doesn't have an advantage over the other prototype cars. It's just that they're not doing as good a job or, or something like that. And it just, it makes you face palm. It makes you think, are you just so powerful that you've got people around you who will just nod and say, yes, Fernando, that was an excellent point. And then he goes and says it on camera. Well, yeah, it's these, it's these wild sort of claims of, yeah, that was my, well, maybe it's not so wild saying that was my best qualifying lap, Mm. but he's said all this sort of thing repeatedly and then making these weird claims about WEC and he's trying to make himself look better. He's been trying to really publicize his greatness and it's just, I don't know, it lacks a bit of grace in my eyes. Oh, the Triple Crown is a great example. And a lot of you out there in in podcast listener land got suckered in to suddenly believing that the Triple Crown was somehow more important. I mean, I asked the question. I said, would you take a second F1 World Championship 
or the Triple Crown. And he's done quite a good job of convincing people that they, there is some equivalency there. There obviously isn't. Come, come, come at me. I'm sure I'll get emails. Spannersready at gmail.com. I actually like getting your emails. You can add me Spannersready on Facebook. You can DM me on there or you can DM me on Twitter at Spannersready or the show at Missed Apex F1. Nick. I was just going to say, I, I think, no, you, you kind of asked the original question. Isn't it sad how he's kind of faded into oblivion? But he really hasn't. He's really done a fantastic job of getting us to continue to talk about him. Yep. Endlessly. He's a great guy. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't feel bad for him at all. He may have faded on the timesheets, but still relevant somehow. Trump Good job self promoting there. A great character in our sport. Oh, yeah. I mean, who can forget all the fun we had with Alonzo memes last year? He really, for all of his um, middling finishes in the race, has absolutely owned social media the last two years. Uh, Erudite in the chat rooms is, uh, has done quotation marks. So I'm assuming this is something Alonso said. Van Dorn is the best young driver to graduate in F1 in recent years. And that may or may not be true. That may or may not be reflective of what we thought of him coming into Formula One. But it's another example, isn't it, Kyle, of how he tries to position himself. Do you remember there was a qualifying in Monza when Raikkonen was his teammate and they said, are you disappointed to be third or wherever he was? And he said, well, if you look, all the other cars are in their teammate pairs and my teammate is nowhere near. So look how brilliantly I've done. It's like, wow, you you are quite happy to just throw Raikkonen under the bus. As far as we know, there was no fallout because I can't believe that Raikkonen would bother falling out with anyone. Yeah, no, it, again, it's just he's very comfortable putting himself at the fore and making himself look good rather sort of shamelessly. Um, and I couldn't dream of, if I was in this position, I couldn't dream of saying some of the things that he said. Phil Allen in the chat room would like to nominate him for the deck chair on the Titanic Award. Chilling on his deck chair while it was sinking. Is that, I haven't seen the film or, and I wasn't there in real life. So I'm not That's completely sure of the reference there. Uh, but, but we should say to Phil Allen, thank you very much for all the posts you do in our Facebook group and keeping that running. We have a Facebook group. It's got about 500 people in it. You can come and join that by searching Missed Apex Podcast in the group section of Facebook. What award trumpets are we going to settle on here? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you've got the it's only good if I'm winning award for his comments in whack. You hang up first award. But I think we have to give him the radio sarcasm award. Yep. Because really, if I think about his year, that pretty much defined it. I love it. Let's do that. Well, Matt, I think we've got time for one more driver. If we're kind of quick. But before that, I would like you to tell the listeners where they can catch up with more of your stuff. Now, let's um, let's make one thing clear. You are not just a talky, talky, talker. Everyone in your family pens things in words and you write race reviews all the time and you put them on a website that isn't MissedApexPodcast.com and that hurts. But I still want you to plug your magnificent and interesting race reviews. Yes, well, my race reviews and qualifying reviews can always be found on summersf1.co.uk. Boo! If you should care to go read them, along with all of my coverage from the uh, Formula E race in Brooklyn this summer, where I was actually accredited. Hell yeah. Remarkably enough, and was forced to share both a car and my couch with Chris underscore Stevens which is every bit as odd as you might think it would have been. (laughs) 
You let him stay uh, in your house. I would not. Yes. Let, I wouldn't let Chris Stevens stay in my house. He would messy up my bookshelves, take the covers off my boiler pipes. It'd be a nightmare. It was. It was. It was the, the best part. Was sitting in the bar watching him be unable to find it after he got off the subway on his way out from landing. He got so lost, and I'm, I'm like literally the simplest thing to find here. But well, New York even- is frightening. Everybody is yelling at you and and telling you that they're walking there. In a, in a strange accent. Uh, Nick is nodding because he understands how scary New York can be. And also crossing the road is weird. It, what is up with your country that it is illegal to cross the road? What a, what a strange and mysterious place. Where can people catch up with e-radio show? Because there is no off season as far as electric racing is concerned. That's right. We have a race coming up. I believe Marrakesh is the next one. And it's at e-radio show, or you can follow me at Matt PT 55 or at C Stevens underscore journal or something like C underscore journal. It's the Stevens worst Twitter handle ever. Very confusing. But if you poke around, eventually you'll find it. it's Chris Stevens. And he, I, he might even have his own website. So you could just Google him it's not and ignore it. all yeah. the, all the images that are not for young eyes. All right. Well, we should probably get back to, to the F1. Uh, who's our next driver? Well, as it stands on our list, that Fernando's teammate, Van Dorn, is next. I don't know why they're in this order, but it doesn't really matter. We shall, we shall play the ball as it lies. And so our friend Stoffel, who is off to the greener pastures of Formula E, is um, first of all up for the It's Not As Bad As It Looks award. Because despite losing 21 to nothing in qualifying, which I will admit does look bad. It looks bad. He was one of the closest teammates ever to Alonso in terms of time. He was third overall away from Alonso and significantly closer than, let's say, someone like Raikkonen was. So so he had that going for him. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a minute. Let's just break that down a little bit. If he was time-wise, so we're talking like average qualifying time-wise, and there's nothing screwy like uh, taking into account when they could not qualify or had a problem – then does that not say to you that both Alonso and Van Dorn must be very, very consistent qualifiers for that set of statistics to pan out like that? Yeah, it does. And, and that speaks to why he wound up in the sport in the first place. I mean, one of, one of his biggest advantages is he was very smooth, incredibly consistent driver in, in the juniors and in carts. I mean, he was fast, fast, fast. He won the championship going away. And really, his ascent to Formula One was very similar to that of Leclerc. Steve in the chat room says, I'm not sure I'd want closest teammate to Alonso as my Wikipedia page. Very harsh. In terms of time. I mean, like nobody's saying you have to bunk with a guy. Kyle Power. Um, Yeah, I don't think that washes really 21-0 says it all regardless of time um it could be as close like one thousandth of a second is can be the difference between winning and losing but he just happened to lose 21 times consecutively um yeah it doesn't wash but we can't we can't really judge that until we establish how good really fernando alonso is and i guess that is a whole podcast episode on its own hey matt note down how good is fernando alonso podcast episode on its own but it's very hard to to judge Van Dorn badly if he's if he's gotten consistently close it's entirely possible and and I'm not saying this is my opinion it's entirely possible that he has spent his two first two and maybe only two years in Formula One up against a phenomenon as far as qualifying goes 
Well, I think that's already been proven. We know Fernando is a, is an absolute megastar in qualifying and in and in the race. That's that's without doubt. So you're but, being really harsh on him by saying that 21 nil's really bad. Maybe well, he'd have beaten anyone 21 nil this year. Maybe this was his greatest year in F1. Well, no, but Ericsson still managed to outqualify Leclerc. If you look at that, and on a few occasions, everyone has managed to outqualify Barrichello, outqualify Schumacher on a few occasions. You know, 21 nil. It's pretty bad. I am fed up of this Ericsson apologist, Kyle. You are you are benched for a moment, Nick. Weighed in on Van Dorn. What's your overall impression? Because it does look like it's over. My overall impression is really what happened. I can't. I can't explain it. How how could he come in and have such promise and get beaten so so soundly, and and now he's gone and presumably won't get another chance to redeem himself ever. Because it's not like the uh, Red he, Bull re- uh, revolving door. Didn't he, he beat Jensen Button twice? Didn't he beat Jensen Button twice? Didn't he beat him after Alonso was injured? And then uh, once he... at Bahrain. But then didn't he also beat him at Monaco when Button came back? Oh, yeah, that's because Button uh, wow. plastered himself onto the barrier, wasn't So it? that's the next thing for Stoffel Van Dor's Wikipedia page. Closest ever teammate to Alonso in qualifying also beat Jensen Button twice. I, I don't think it's as bad as... You know, it's not like he he failed to, you know, progress from karting. He's he's done he's still done very well, Trumpets. I think we are being quite harsh. We are. And I think it's just the function of the thing at McLaren. But that also brings up the next award that he is eligible for, which is the I swear my name should be on the list award, because absolutely zero media coverage and the charisma of a wet blanket really didn't help his cause much with the sponsors. Or frankly, I think with the team itself. Yep. Uh, Kyle, name a thing Van Dorn said. Um, yep. Uh, it yeah. wasn't my fault. Um, uh, there we go. Not bad. Trumpets. Next award. I think it's the last one. And next and last award is the It's Not Me, It's the Chassis Award. Famously, he oh, spent yep. the first chunk of the season saying there was something wrong with his chassis. And once Alonso actually agreed with him, Mirabile Dictu, he got a new chassis. But in the end, the car itself was pretty darn unreliable. And that did him no favors at all. Okay, let's let Nick cast the first vote. Nick, where can people catch up with you on social media? I know I don't normally let people plug their stuff on their debut, but it's been a particularly strong one. All right. You can find me on Twitter at NickAlexanderF1, where I write words about things at times. And I'm behind the scenes on the Missed Apex Twitter at Missed Apex F1, which is the same handle for our Instagram page, which I sometimes post on. Which I can no longer log into. Please, please help me. I don't understand Instagram. It's confusing. I will help you. Thank you. Do follow Nick. But what was your award vote? It's not me. It's the chassis. It's not you. It's the chassis. For for Stoffel. Good. That's my vote. I vote for the not as bad as it looks award because I think... 21 nil looks bad i think car's going to disagree with me yeah i was going to throw a spanner a complete spanner in the works and say i swear my name should be on the a-list award oh so my vote look at that we've got one for each that means that trumpets you simply get to decide oh yes and you know how long it takes me to make decisions oh man it's comment of the week all over again and that's still to come oh gosh yes are you not lucky um it's very tough. The, the jokey award, um, but I'm going to go. 
my honest opinion is that it's not as bad as it looks at word is going to be the one we give him on his way out of formula one. I think that's fair and appropriate and really based on his qualifying in formula E he's not done racing yet by any stretch of the imagination. I reckon you put him in Sauber this season. He thumps Marcus Ericsson bags a Ferrari seat. Everyone says he's a phenomenon. So yeah, not as bad as it looks. Well, trumpets, as we get into the shed for the last time in 2018, next year is 2019. Thank goodness it's not 2020, because I do remember thinking that 2020 was some mysterious, far-off time in the future, and we've watched many sci-fi series where the year was 2020, so we have one year left before that depressing reality is true. Who is the winner of the very last comment of the week? Surely by now, Matt, you're used to the fact that I am restricting you to three nominees and a winner, as opposed to your previous tactic of reading out the entire chat room transcript and then eventually picking one. And that's why I only have five possibilities. Okay, but that's still win. that's still two more than fine five. Here we go. All right. So up first is panelist and probably therefore not technically eligible, Alex Van Jean with Kyle has a face. Oh, underneath the beard. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you are handsomer. You look like you now have basic hygiene. And now the beard Smooth. is gone. Yeah. Now just get, you still got metal all over your face though. No, no, no. No, I'm out. I just leak now. It's fine. Oh, the lip okay. piercing's out. Oh, I see. But you've got glasses as well. It's a good job you'll settle down because girls don't make passes at boys who wear glasses. Next comment, Matt. Uh, our friend Merkman with their spanners using the entire 2019 budget on fireworks. Okay, no one no one will hear or see that tech error, but there may have been fireworks going over the top of Matt's initial news intro. Merkman, you're mean. You're nice in real life, but you're mean in the chat room. Right, and our old friend Blackout19 deigned to drop by, and the next two belong to him. Spanners is happy when he has the time to beat anything these days, oh, given how busy he is. Because I said I would definitely beat Stroll in a car. No, it wasn't. It was because I said I beat my son at go-karting. Yeah, I was, let's see, I was seven seconds faster than my son, who was in an underpowered cadet cart. Uh, but uh, thanks again to Formula Fast in Milton Keynes for looking after us this afternoon. And then he went on to add, Williams were strolling along despite their budget, you might say. That's interesting. Cause they, they had a, oh, they've got a driver of the same name. So that works as like a pun. Yeah, I think that's where he was headed with that I one. See. And then finally, our friend Anders says Ericsson lived up to every Swedish joke told by a Dane. Wow, that's quite a specific. As far as we know, that's racist. So that definitely can't win. Okay, fair enough then. Oh, who is it going to be? I think it's going to have to be uh, Merkman. There are spanners using the entire 2019 budget on fireworks. Comment of the week. Guys, thank you for joining us throughout all of 2018. We appreciate it. It's been an exhausting, exciting, and fantastic year. Thank you to all the guests who've joined us, the crew, the panel, the behind-the-scenes staff. We have exciting things coming up in January. We're going to be doing more news and driver awards. We're also going to have Alex Brundle talking to us about things not necessarily in F1, but just a little bit outside 
to try and expand our horizons. We'll have more great driver analysis from the likes of Kyle Power, Alex Van Jean, Bradley Philpot, more tech time from Summers, more inside F1 with Joe Saywood, more diaries of an F1 boss with Matthew Carter. Until next time, guys, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Podcast. And more spanners and trumpets. I mean, we really underplay it, trumpets. We're the best ones. By far. <clears throat> That's why we own YouTube and it. And we're the handsomest as well. And we have fancy backdrops, not like those guys. Trophies. That's a fancy enough backdrop, isn't it? F- fake trophies that Kyle feels so insecure about his karting. He has to display fake trophies. You don't see... Nick Numbers Alexander just doing piles of money. Oh, look, I'm an accountant, and I just rip off poor, well-meaning businessmen who don't understand their own finances. I thought it'd be spreadsheets is stacked around. <laughs> that mattress is stuffed with money. very well, actually. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.